Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure with our producer, Michael Molinari. I'm Yogi Roth with Ted Robinson. It is late Tuesday night. The CFP week number two has been out. Hopefully, I know everybody on this call has voted. We are presented by Bet Online, And fellas, we've got only three games left. Three left. Do we get, do we get a vote in the CFP? You should. <laughs> Somebody got Clemson in the CFP still. That one blew my mind. Somebody had Clemson in the top four? The top ten. Still top sitting top. at ten without a quarterback. Ahead of UCLA? Come no, on. I don't. I know, I know. I hear a lot you. of a lot of UCLA complaining on the uh, social right now. That's what I'm. That's what I'm picking up. And they're they're usually not the complainers. I won't say who usually is, but they are usually not. Um, <laughs> but but uh, Pac-12 pod after dark. What could be better? Voting, voting. We got it there. We voted absolutely. That's the. That was great because that you know last we're talking on Tuesday night, as Yoke said, Monday night. Every Pac-12 team played basketball to open up the season. And that was done intentionally. Nobody played today. And that was a great move by the conference schools to make sure that everybody had every ability to vote. Amen. Amen. All right, Michael, how, how was it for you juggling basketball? You were with Walton and Ted on Monday night. Now here we are back in football mode. I mean, I get to go from the two most positive people on the planet between you and Bill Walton. So this is like, I'm in my wheelhouse right now. This is fantastic. Ted too. Ted and I both get to go from you and Bill. Scott Barkey, our director, also on the show last night. It was a, my my wife and I had date night. She came to do graphics. So it was it was quite a night. Yeah, I got we I had date night and we both got paid. That's pretty good. That That's is pretty, pretty good. good. That is pretty good. All right. So as you guys know, basketball is back. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You will find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, game trends at Bet Online. It's your source for all sports wagering information, live betting, free contest, giveaways all season long, regardless of the season. They have everything: favorite sports, favorite events, NFL, NBA, college football, boxing, golf, and of course basketball. So go to BetOnline.ag to join. Receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Please use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Now, Michael, we're going to start with you because we have a guest today that you brought to us that came from the game in one of the most unique settings that I think Ted and I have seen while broadcasting a game together. Yeah, we had, uh, I thought we've mic players, we've mic coaches, and you know, arguably the best student section in our conference, the mighty, uh, the mighty Utah student section, otherwise known as the Muss. I said, why don't we try to put a mic on someone from the Muss? So I get this great uh, recommendation of Andrew Drossel, who uh, joined us, and uh, well, I won't. I will bring him in before I, I get asked him. I, I mean, he looked like he looked like a future analyst. That's for sure. All right. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Without further ado, let's bring in Andrew Drossel. There he is. What's up, man? How's it going? Welcome to the show, man. I'm assuming you, you're a subscriber already. You get the alerts whenever our podcast pops up. Of course. Of course. You got to be subscribed. <laughs> there you go. Well, Hi, Ray. I host Hi, this, Ray. but, but I, I got to introduce you. I'm going to let Michael take over from here, man, because he's the producer. This was his brainchild. 
Yeah, well, I was just saying we we might coaches, we might players, so why not try with the the best student section in uh, all the conference? So, uh, I'm not even sure. I the sports information department set me up with somebody else who suggested Andrew, and we kind of texted back and forth. We had one phone call, and then I uh, I think I went over and met him with the great Dave Walcott, our audio expert. Uh, put the mic on about 4.15 and away we went at 5.30 and uh, right off the bat right off the bat somebody predicts a touchdown so I want to know Andrew tell me do you normally sit in the stands and predict what's going to happen in the game or was that the mic was on so I'm gonna give it a whirl uh, I, I think it's a combination of both to be honest um, I, I, I look at football in terms of schemes and tendencies and so I like to um make those sort of predictions and uh, based on the situation and circumstance at the time. I, I think a part of it was luck too, but knowing Utah football and being so passionate about it, I think that really helped me. All right. So did you, did you call risings winning runs, both of them against USC? Did you call those? I, I knew they were going for two, <laughs> how they did it. I didn't, it didn't really matter, but I knew they were going for two. I didn't, in that circumstance, you have to. I was uh, I was impressed in the the deluge that you now some people cleared out of halftime, but not the mus. Is it like illegal for the mus to leave early? Is that like is that like a rule? Uh, it's not necessarily a rule, but when you're so passionate about the team, it's it's hard to leave at halftime, um, despite the the elements that we faced that that night. Yeah, yeah. I think you said you felt like you were. Uh, living in a puddle or something like that. I think we got that on. That was pretty good. Um, I want to ask you, did you, who came up with the sign? My One of my favorite signs is Wits Cabs. And I think you're right next to that. Who came up with Wits Cabs? Uh, I think all the credit goes out to my fellow Musboard members on that one. It's it's kind of a, a running, not, not necessarily joke for lack of better terms, but uh, Wit needs to show all of us what his cap day routine is for sure. Well, every time we meet with him, we meet with him at, uh, we go in at 10 in the morning on Fridays and that's our meeting time with Utah. And the first two coordinators are, you know, dressed up, nice, ready to talk with us. And then Witt comes in last and he comes in with a full sweat. He's just gotten off the Stairmaster or the calf machine, or I don't know, but he's definitely, he's working out just before he walks in. Does that, does that surprise you? N not in the slightest. I, I, I've heard rumors that, that Witt hasn't missed a, a workout in a couple, couple years. So <laughs> I could believe that. I, I definitely believe that. I want to ask you one, you got, you guys have Stanford coming in this week. So you are excellent prognosticator last week. Give us uh give us a little breakdown on the game this week. Uh, I think, I think anytime you play in the PAC 12, there's going to be a challenge. Um, but I have full confidence with our, our personnel. We're, we're very deep at a lot of positions. I feel like, especially in the run game. Uh, you saw Nate Johnson become a factor this week. Um, we'll see if he they incorporate him in the final game of Rice Eccles, my final game as a student here at Rice Eccles. Um, so the muscle will be popping as well. Um, and I, I know and it, it's shown throughout um, the games this season that the muscle is a huge factor. And anytime we could play at home, uh, the, the odds are in our favor for sure. All right. So have you been showing like clips of yourself at all, like around campus and we know your phone blew up. We we heard everything you said. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've had people people reach out and and text me that I haven't heard from in a little bit. They saw me on TV. It's it's pretty exciting. I I, I think I said in the microphone that I don't, I don't think I've ever been this popular in my entire life. So. <laughs> We're excited hey, people saw you, number one. But go ahead, Ted. Andrew, obviously you're saying this week will be your last game in the Muss at Rice-Eccles. What about the Rose Bowl? I that That's a very real possibility. And right. I think I think the team and the University of Utah community has that expectation that we could be there again. And uh, the, the Utes travel really well. I think you saw it last year at the Rose Bowl. So if uh, – if we're lucky enough to make it there, which I have full confidence that uh, if we take care of business, we will be back uh, in Pasadena this year. Um, but I'll definitely be there if that's the case. Were you there last year? Oh, yeah. Tell, okay. well, tell us what it was like. It was just – it was nothing like I've ever seen before in a college atmosphere. The The game, of course, is one of arguably the greatest college football games of all time. Um, back and forth scoring. Uh against a premier big 10 school um but the atmosphere was electric everybody was excited um and it was it was an all-around just amazing time that i'll never forget for sure i forgot to ask you in all this what do you if if it's not sports casting what do you want to do when you're uh when you get out of utah yeah so i'm i'm currently pursuing math and statistics right now I'm almost done there. Uh, my my goal is to ultimately be in a R and D or uh, some sort of analytics role for a sports organization, um, possibly baseball, basketball, football. Um, I'm also currently uh, interning with the uh, the Applied Health and Performance Science team for Utah Athletics. So we do some some analytics based uh, projects on that front as well. Great, you're in the right place. You could get in. You could work on that book that Kyle, who's uh, who holds is uh, next to Kyle, Yogi. Yeah, I know what you're talking book, about the book. Yeah, yeah, the analytics book. Yeah. <laughs> or we could set you up with the stats train for the Pac-12, or uh, Greg <laughs> Mraz, the stats guy, as an internship. Maybe we'll see. He's he's a classic character for sure. I love it, Andrew. Thank you for coming on, and as as Ted often references, thank you for your life. And uh, <laughs> we enjoyed we enjoyed the time. Make sure you stay connected with us because we'll see we we'll see if we can hook you up with some people in sports that do R and D and sports analytics. Make sure we take care of you, man. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate you guys for having me on. Go Twins. Go Twins. Go Twins. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it, Andrew. Thanks, man. Andrew Thank drops. That was awesome. It is. For those that are if you're if if you're listening and not watching, Andrew's got a twins banner right behind him. There's families from uh, Minnesota. So since that was a part of my life, it was an immediate bond for us. If I had known that during the game last Saturday, we'd have been talking to Carlos Correa for three hours. That was cool, Michael. That that was yeah. I mean, Ted and I were talking on the elevator down. Like that was really enjoyable. It was in the game. Like it was a blowout, right? Utah was all over it, but that that was that was awesome, man. I mean, it's bringing people closer to the college environment. And that's what that's what we sell with this sport is good football, great football, but also the college environment. And yeah. I think it was it was a fantastic we, display of that. We sell Saturday and I'll say, and that's what Michael and Scott Barkey and our crew yogi that we've been so fortunate to work with all these years. That's what they do. And that's what I loved when we were talking about it. That doesn't happen on Sundays. <laughs> 
that happens Saturdays where you have that kind of an experience. And as we were joking, the young dude calls the first touchdown. He calls the play before it happens. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was awesome. Tanner, see if you can splice that in somewhere along this podcast to our producer. Because <laughs> that, that was all time. I'm sure it's floating all over social media. Um, all right, so this week, uh, here we go. SC gets a Friday night game against Colorado, Arizona State, Washington State. UW is the premier game going to Oregon will be Cal, Oregon state, Stanford, Utah. And then Jed fish goes back to the place where he was once the interim head coach against UCLA. So we know what the a game is, right? We all we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, we saw the rankings just come out Oregon at six USC at eight UCLA doesn't move 12 and Utah is at 13 and Washington jumps in at 25. Uh, you, you takeaways from the CFP heading into a, a, a huge weekend for the Oregon Ducks. Well, what matters, I mean, look, Oregon's at six. I mean, again, it's, it's the second week in a row. So now we have to say that's confirmation that week one didn't eliminate them. And that's what, you know, we all wondered what impact did that would have, um, you know, Tennessee is still ahead of Oregon and you can't argue that I mean, the wins Tennessee has, uh, even with the loss to Georgia, but to win at LSU and to beat Alabama, I mean, you can't argue that. So again, we the Pac-12 got a big break Saturday from Notre Dame. They now need a break from Sark in Texas this week. Somebody has to be TCU. Or TCU's in. They are in right now, and they will be in if they run the table. Okay, Michael, what'd you take away? I, I just I keep doing this and going, well, two Pac-12 teams ahead of Alabama. That's hard. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> just really, that's Really uh, amazing to see. And I, I second, as would Professor Schmelzley, that TCU wins out. They've got to be in. I'm actually happy to see them at four because I just, I, it would be so, uh, it'd just be so defeating to not see them in because I think they've at least earned to be number four right now. And yeah, I, I agree. I, I think for where it sits today, Oregon and or SC and or UCLA, I think you're actually in a fine position. And here's why, is that the committee, we've talked about this before, um, they value wins. And the teams among those three, they have a chance for the most quality wins in terms of the amount of quality wins compared to anybody who's ranked higher than them. So Michigan, Ohio State, loser will be out. They won't have any quality wins. I don't think a one-loss one of those teams would get in over a one-loss Oregon SC or UCLA. TCU will get in if they're undefeated. And while Oregon or one of the other two may sit behind Tennessee up until championship weekend when they play that weekend. If we believe what the committee says in terms of valuing wins and then when close, they go to the following championships, one strength of schedule or strength of record head to head competition of it occurred and then comparative outcomes of common opponents. That's right from the CFP guidebook. I think the packs in really good position unless LSU wins the SEC, like some crazy things happen in that regard, but. I think the pack should be pretty happy with where they are. UCLA fans are probably a little upset with where they sit, understandably. Um, heck, you can make an argument they should be higher than SC. Uh, but I think it, it shows us that the committee's valuing the entirety of the season as well. Um, so that, that's kind of where I where my takeaways were. All right, I'm going to throw this out there, guys. And this is uh, something that we've seen before with the SEC. Tennessee's five. You see who they play, who their last three games are? Oh, yeah. Missouri, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. 
Win, win, win. Win, win, win. Guess what? They're not going to make the championship game. Georgia is going to be the team from that division. So Tennessee's going to win out. They're going to have one loss. They won't have to play championship week. And they're going to have two magnificent wins on their resume. How do you beat that? that? That's the part that I can't stand. That a team that doesn't even play in its own conference championship game, and it's the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game, assuming assuming both are undefeated when they play, the loser of that game is going to be in the same boat, right? Not going to play in the Big Ten championship game. We're going to, have a, going to stand up and pound their chest and say, we should still be in. Yeah, well, I think that's going to be the debate. And that's why I go to, like, again, if they value quality wins, especially at, in this stretch, Oregon's going to have to play – at least two, maybe three ranked teams, right? SC, UCLA, they'll have to play two no, for SC, maybe three ranked teams, right? If Notre Dame can remain in the top 25. So I, I think when it when it's close, and we'll find out, like we have never seen this group of committee members before, so there's nothing to base it on. But I do think that the league, and they say they don't care about conferences, but with four teams in the top 13, to me, like the league is valued and the fact that they're all going to play each other, I think it's going to carry the weight necessary for a conference champ. We know all the things we say it every week, nine conference games, et cetera. I think it's going to allow the Pac-12 champ to get in over a one loss non-participant in a title game. Over one loss Tennessee. That's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, that's going to be. I mean, they got. I'm, I'm on board. I, I'm just saying right now, that's a hard case to make if Tennessee's five. And Well, here's my argument on it. Yeah. And. In the Tennessee game, like we could, and they'll break all the numbers down. Like all the numbers, if you comp Oregon versus Tennessee against Georgia, they're in Oregon's favor. We do this because we have to present those numbers right. to the committee, right? So whether it's rushing yards, yards a lot, whatever, like Oregon actually wins that. Now they didn't lose by as many points, but I think if you watch the game, you saw a beatdown. Ultimately, I think this will prevail. Year two, week 10, with a Heisman candidate quarterback, Tennessee got throttled. Year one, week one, with a transfer quarterback, in context at the time, Oregon got throttled. I do think there's something, if you're going to take the whole thing into context, in in, in some sort of context, which they will, I, I actually think a Week 10 loss in that style, both road games, is worse than the Week 1 loss to Georgia from both of those teams. I, I think what you're saying is 5-6 right now is not relevant because of the road ahead, which will yeah. give... The road ahead, if they went out, will give Oregon the boost past Tennessee. That's well, but that then that's the point. That's where I'm coming. It, to me, it does matter right now because they've made a judgment. Now they could change their minds. Yeah, they have the ability to do that. But as of right now, they've made a judgment that Tennessee's ahead of Oregon. So now, what is the reason that Oregon leaps Tennessee? But obviously, play tougher competition the rest of the way. I think, right? Right. Yeah. And what scares me, though, to guys to that point, exactly, Michael, but what scares me to that point is are we relapsing back to an era in college football where where the score matters? So does Oregon have to beat, not just beat Washington, of course, this week, clearly, but then beat Utah by 30? And then win the championship game, if it's USC uh, or UCLA, the winner of that game, and win that by 30. Do they have to do that? Is winning enough, or do you have to win with style? I don't, My take on it, and that's why I think it's important that we keep pounding the drum as loud as possible, and, and this year you don't have to do it as much because the conference is really respected nationally, yeah. right? Like 
whether you saw Herb Street on that show, like the people that are doing this, I think really value the weight of the league. So I, my opinion is that the quality of win will allow that team to elevate over the style of win. We'll see. We'll see. And and, that, and, and look, we can counter that because I look at SC and UCLA and I'm like, okay, they both had games that went into the fourth quarter. UCLA didn't have Zach Charbonnet. Didn't have their defensive coordinator, Bill McGovern, for the second straight week. SC didn't have Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Eric Gentry either, among others. And I, I just saw one rose, one one stayed the same. And I, I am of the ilk of, I think UCLA is a better team today than USC based on the players that are healthy. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, the one thing that, that bothered me, which we can, this is just soapbox, quick soapbox moment. I'm going to hop up and hop down. Is Clemson. How, how on the God's green earth is Clemson number 10? They don't know who their quarterback is. Two out of three weeks, they've, they've only had two games. They've played two quarterbacks in both of those games and got drilled by your Notre Dame fighting Irish, who now all of a sudden, everybody wants a trumpet, which is great. Let's remember, Stanford beat Notre Dame. Yep. Cal got screwed on a call against Notre Dame. Now, this is the Pac-12 slant, right? Like, I get it. Cal lost the game. But my point is, like, if we're going to start playing that game, then let's start playing that game. And maybe we need to. <laughs> I'm good. I love it. Yogi, does Clemson being in the top, does this does this deserve the Mars treatment? If 100 people came down from Mars? It does. It does. Oh, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> I... You know, Mike, Michael, look, it's only taken me six years to rub off on you. <laughs> finally. <laughs> it's finally happened. Nice. Jeez. Save I mean, it for the air, Yogi. Save it for the air. If you saw and Clemson played against each other, it wouldn't be close. I, look, and, and I think that's where we have to see over the next couple of weeks that the committee judges conferences because the ACC is not having a good year. It just isn't. Who's the second best team in the ACC? North Carolina? They give up six. They give up sixty a week, right? Yeah. So anyway, the eye test—that's what they call it, right, Michael? And and the other point, though, the bigger picture is that this is a great conversation to have. It's yeah. been too long since we've been able to talk this way in November about Pac-12 football teams. So yeah, if we have our soapbox moments, we all know that's okay. This is a good problem. Yeah. Well said. I appreciate that. Um, hey, okay. by the way, if if they gave us one of the two biggies on November 19th, I think we'd find a way to get in on at noon Pacific, just, just for the record. Well, one of the networks wanted to give it up to us. We'd take it. We'd put it on New Pacific. But anyway. Well, I'm sad. I'm sad for November 19th. We maybe do more next week. And John Wilner just wrote a nice piece again. John does the digging about why the TV minutia, about why these things happen. But it, to me, it's just it's again, something that I hope the conference fixes in the next round of television because you're going to have the best teams in the conference, including Washington, the game we'll be doing, which is a top 25 team playing in the witness protection program. There will be nobody watching Washington play that night other than Washington fans because they'll be going straight up against USC, UCLA, and Oregon, Utah. That's wrong. It's, it's just not good for the conference at all to happen. Yeah. In two years. Hopefully we're calling that game the biggest one of the weekend. Um, all right, so let's get to the biggest one of the weekend. Washington, we, we have Oregon State this weekend, so we have all studied Oregon State. They lost to UW over the weekend. I think Oregon State's still a top 25 team. Like them or UW, it could have gone either way in that ball game. 
with that said, we have a top 25 matchup, which is great for the Ducks. This rivalry is awesome. Huge stage in Austin. What do you think of it? Because it's kind of cool. Like it's two first-year head coaches, two first-year transfer quarterbacks, two guys that are playing at a ridiculous level. Bo is a Heisman candidate. Michael Penix, I think, leads the country in passing yards per game or some some stat at the quarterback spot. Many stats. Many stats. Yes. This is a this is this is a great game. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, this is Kalen DeBoer's uh you know, Michael Penn explains some pretty big stages in the Big Ten for Kalen DeBoer. This is probably the biggest stage, right? Yes, so, it's Michigan State. Yeah. But I mean, this I mean this but this is the this you is know, great. I know or each school has their in-state rival. Uh, this rivalry you know, we've learned enough in this league. This rivalry might be just as intense, right? He as, did. He did. As the rivalry. in-state rivals that each each team has, which we get. But and I, I saw a comment Kalen DeBoer made. He said he hasn't made a speaking engagement yet since he's taken the job, where he hasn't been told beat the Ducks. So, <laughs> so it's going to be and, and and the fact that that Michael Penix and his receivers, you know, did a nice job of conquering the conditions that were not most friendly for passing. And look, Oregon State, I understand we'll, we'll see Jonathan Smith Friday, and I'm, I'm sure he's going to be frustrated because I'm watching the game back again. Uh, we were in Salt Lake having dinner, watching, and then I watched it again. Oregon State should have won the game. I mean, that's that's not a could have. That's a should have to me. If I'm in the Oregon State chair, I'm thinking we should have won that game. And then Washington, credit to them, credit to Panics. They go 95 on the last drive of the game. You gave them a shot. And they stuffed it right down your throat. All credit. That was that's to me, that was a huge leap forward by Michael Penix into this top-tier quarterbacks that we've seen in the league this year. You go back and you watch that. I was blown away. End of the half, Alex Austin drops a short pick six. It's 21-7. He catches it and goes in the end zone. And we're not even talking about where they didn't get it inside the five. It could be even more. We had a chance to talk to Jack Coletto earlier today. And the thing that I love that he said was he goes, you know what, guys, we're a really mature group. Like, we just go back to work. And I feel that about his team because it had a chance to be a separation moment. They didn't get it. UW, to your point, gets the win with Penix leading the way. I think in this game, what where my eyes go to is I want to see Christian Gonzalez against Roma Dunzier all day long. Like, all day long. And I think there's reason to believe we'll, we'll probably see something like that. Well, Christian Gonzalez made himself <laughs> made himself some attention last weekend, didn't he? Sure did. Goes to Boulder and has two picks. Ooh. And then the O line of Wash of Oregon's going to get tested. I think Washington has the has the best edge rushers in the league. We saw him in person a couple weeks ago. We'll get him again next week. Uh, to to Ted's earlier point, uh, it's going to be the Oregon O line. They're going to have a stage. Like, can they run the football? The misdirection of Kenny Dillingham, even Ryan Grubb. Like, we're talking about two of the hottest young coordinators in college football, in Power Five football. Ryan Grubb's been doing it for a long time. Kenny Dillingham's first time really having control of the whole thing. But I think there's intrigue, like, all over the yard in this game. So can Washington run the ball on Oregon? I don't know. And can Washington slow Oregon's run game? Because, you well, know, I'm coming back to that. Right now, I'm giving Oregon the edge because they're a better run team. Yeah, I'm giving Oregon the edge too, especially at home. 
Washington, I believe, will, for the first time all season, have back-to-back games with the same starting defensive lineup, which I think is critical because we're kind of seeing their best guys out there. They're inside guys. Study them today against the Oregon State run game. They did, a, they did a pretty good job. Like, there's a lot of movement. They're really active. They're really physical. But I give Oregon the advantage because of what Bo Nix can do with his legs. Mm-hmm. And he's been so accurate. Like, he's leading the nation in so many categories. Most rushing touchdowns. Uh, most combined touchdowns. Like, 31 or 35 combined passing and rushing touchdowns. He, he's playing with just such confidence that I, I think we'll have a hell of a game. Uh, this is not going to be the Jake Browning point at you into the end zone game. You remember that? It was like 70 to something a long time ago. Like this will be yeah. highly competitive, but I think Oregon will do what they've done to everybody, which is just kind of wear you down and pull away. And who wears you down? Offensive line. Yeah. And we're going to be 35 miles away. So we've been, uh, I said only because we've been checking the weather. It's going to be dry. That's there's zero rain, right? You guys seen the same forecasts? Never rains in Austin Stadium. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, for the for the passing, especially yeah. if you're Penix and Adunze and the Washington receivers, you you know, maybe some fall chill in the air, but it's not going to be wet. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that, that'll that be pretty cool. Um, something that's really intriguing to me about this weekend is calling it like backs against the wall. Arizona State, they got to win out. Wazoo needs a win to be bowl eligible. Cal has to win out. Stanford has to win out. Arizona has to win out. I think all of those teams, like when you know you have no margin for error, I think we'll get their best early. I don't want to necessarily predict the Cal-Oregon State game, but out of the others, anyone you see where the team that has to win gets the win? Well, I would, I mean, living where I do, and again, being in the more in the Stanford world, they just need a win. They just Arizona just needs a win. We've seen them in their last four games, and you know it's been a rough go for them. Quality opponents, etc. They just need to win games and yeah. and just a, a feel good moment. So Stanford has a tough ask. I mean, look for the first what five six years of this conference in its state. Stanford Utah was always the game we looked forward to, right? The most physical matchup every year in the conference, and it isn't that way anymore. And uh, um, I credit because I, I didn't see any of the game last Saturday, but I credit David Shaw because he stood up and, and took full on responsibility. I mean, he said, look, our best players have to play, you know, so he didn't leave the players out, but he said, it's with me. And, uh, you know, that was uh, from, from my sources who were there um, from the Stanford side, that was ugly in capital letters. So um, I just hope there's a rebound in their quality of play, in their level of play, and it'll be the whole Utah motion as we heard from Andrew because it's their last home game. And so, even though senior day is a joke, because you may have, you know, you have you have fourth year seniors, you have ninth year seniors this day, so you don't really know who they are anymore. But for a lot of key players, this could be the last game, so there'll be that emotion in Utah. I well, you can't p- predict, but I think I think our game, I think Cal Oregon State's going to be. I think that's going to be a pretty competitive game. And uh, I, I I think Cal's got definitely has a chance. Um, but you look at the rest of the schedule and it does seem like, you know, I guess the other one would be Arizona State, Washington State. But I think that one can be competitive too. But I don't, I don't see any of the biggies. And obviously Washington, Oregon, I like Oregon there. But I think the rest of them, I think the teams you expect to win are going to win. But I think our game, Cal, Oregon State, I think that's going to be a close one. 
And Oregon State's had close games all year, it seems like. So, I mean, look, the, be any the surprise. The week, yeah, I'm sorry, Michael. The theme of the weekend really is, again, look, we're, we're seeing you, you put the Fox big um, noon game on every week now, and it's either Ohio State or Michigan beating somebody by 40 points. They've been horrible games every week. And of course, they're all geared up for one game that matters. Well, the pack right now, our matchups, Washington, Oregon this week being an exception, but the matchups right now are out of whack a little bit because everything's geared toward November 19th. So for the top four, again, one more time to hold your serve. And then you have a Saturday that everybody's going to really cherish. Yeah. I, I wonder for SC who plays Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Eric Gentry out again, second straight week for them. Like, do you hold them? Do you want to get them going? Because there's no room for error against UCLA. Mm-hmm. Curious about that because we saw that with Cam Rising. Like, and Kyle Whittingham referenced it after the game. He wasn't as sharp as he traditionally had been coming off of a right. 21 day layoff from the time of the USC game to the time of the game that he played last weekend. So I, I'm curious about that and, and what happens. I think among the other ones, like Stanford, um, it's, it's really intriguing because of what happened last year. Remember that game against Utah last year? We were in Pullman, I think, or Spokane. They got they got rolled against Utah. It was it. Devin Lloyd had like the batted down ball, but he caught it and scored a touchdown. Kind of fell in the end zone. Huge moment for him and that team. So I want to see like to what David Shaw said. What? How do they compete? Right? He called that a bride. I think he said uh, I'm leaning on their pride, or I'm I'm asking the you know some, something along that line, right, Ted? Yeah. So w- with that, and then I, I, the Arizona game. All these guys from Southern California, we've told this story many times. I think that the Utah game was, it was just, they ran into it. It was too much. Like the stretch of games, like you go down and from the Oregon game on, it was Oregon, UW, SC, Utah, now UCLA. Everybody was ranked at some point. Um, Now Washington, of course, being ranked. It'll be interesting to see that game. UCLA's got to get their defense right. And I think this this is a good test for them. Yeah, and there you go. I mean, look, if you're going to say, like, I, I would give Stanford minimal chance in Utah. Uh, but I would say Arizona. I mean, you know, that that's one you can, you can in your mind, conceive of a way they win. And what, what we, I think, would be great to see for the Arizona standpoint is play a clean game. Yeah. Play a clean game. Delora, good decisions. Minimize, if not eliminate turnovers. Play a clean game because if you do that, you will move the ball. We know that they will score points, and we know UCLA is not a shutdown defense. So that gives you a chance, right? But we've seen Arizona play four straight games where they've struggled to not beat themselves. One other thing in our game, Chance Nolan. Are we going to see Chance Nolan? We haven't seen him since we were in Salt Lake City several weeks ago. But it look it looks like he may be back, which puts a little more intrigue into that game up in Corvallis. Yeah, you ain't lying. And then even like Jack um, Plummer, he played for Purdue last year, completed 70% of his passes in a win over Oregon State. And Cal is coming off their most productive passing game of the year. I think threw for 406 against SC. And Oregon State, would we agree, most complete secondary in the league that we've seen? Best defensive game I've seen all year was their game against USC, so... If they, if they, we know we've seen enough Jack Plummer that he is not a mobile quarterback. So if Oregon State pressures him in the pocket, flushes him, right? Which I'm assuming that's part of Trent Bray's plan this week. Yeah, I'd imagine that too. Um, a name to remember. 
Sioni Lolohea showed up against SC. Remember, he almost said Caleb a couple times. His role has grown. This guy is playing all over the defensive line at an all-caliber or all-conference caliber level from watching him. So that'll be a name to keep an eye on. It, and, it'll be fun. Go ahead. And two really good freshman running backs. Jay Knott had his explosion early in the year for Cal. People have been sleeping a little bit on Damian Martinez, but he's pretty much become the back now. Yeah. They play three at Oregon State, but Martinez has kind of become the guy. And, uh, and he's – They've got a couple of years to look forward to him and Cordell's. Couple pair of number sixes. I was studying the depth chart already. Pair of number sixes. <laughs> I love it. All right, um, Michael, before we get to the humanity moment of the week, you guys are balancing football and basketball. I think our listeners would be curious, like, Ted, how do you do it? Michael, how do you do it when, it, when it's going on? Basketball's fun. Well, I'll let, I'll let Michael talk in a second. <laughs> Trust me, Michael. <laughs> Basketball, basketball is fun. It's it's a whole different sport than football. I mean, the, the amount of prep and work that that Yogi does every week that we try to do to keep up every week for college, college football is by far the hardest sport to call right now. From my in my in my job, the hardest sport by a mile because of the amount of people, the amount of prep, the amount of plays, the varied conditions, the insanity of review and replay. Um, my God, the Alabama LSU game. And by the way, great kudos to Jaden Daniels. Wow. Conference of Champions guy. <laughs> Remember talking to him with you at, the, at a practice last year, Yogi, before their opener. What a brilliant performance he had. And uh, and I was watching the game thinking, as I was told this for a long time, Brian Kelly has a very specific offense and he needs a very specific type of quarterback to succeed in that offense. And it's not necessarily an NFL guy. Um, Jane Daniels is that guy right now. Right. That's succeeding. So it was just watch him. I rewatched the fourth quarter of the overtime of that game. And my soapbox moment in overtime, they actually tried to replay saying that there was a fingernail tip of a pass that would have eliminated a pass interference call on the defense. And Herb Street and Fowler, to their everlasting credit, they have a rules official, whoever this guy is at ESPN, that said, I, I think that's a tipped ball. And they called him out on the air. Amen, guys great job what are you talking about i mean this is where they've got to stop this with review and replay these in microscopic infinitesimal things frame by frame that you can't tell just stop it anyway uh uh the the good part though yogi you uh you were you were to the tournament with us a couple of years in vegas we have a veteran basketball official david hall and david has worked a, a ton of games in the pack uh, and around the country for a long, long time. So I was in the room and uh, yesterday I was in Westwood staying in the Luskin Hotel, the finest hotel on the planet, uh, right next to Pauly Pavilion. And I was watching on our app, I was watching some of the earlier games and I saw David Hall refing at Arizona State. I was so relieved. It was great. And then I did our game with Pauly and Michael Molinari was producing our game. So opening night, we have an annual race. Who's going to work more games? One to one right now. David Hall or Michael Molinari. They both worked on opening <laughs> night. And great credit because, and this leads into football, one of the officials last night in our game at Pauley Pavilion was Bill Vinovich. And I walked up to him on the court before the game. I said, how did you do this? Bill Vinovich Sunday was the referee for the Raiders-Jaguars game in Jacksonville. He's a referee in the NFL. Has been for a long, Bill's been a ref for a long time in the league. 
But he was he wrecked an NFL game in Jacksonville Sunday in Pauley Pavilion last night. But of course, it was that night where anybody with a striped shirt worked a game. Anybody with a vo- vocal bo- voice box that worked called a game last night. I'm living for Michael. Go ahead. Well, it was 8:30 Pacific, so he did have some time to get there. Number one, um, but uh, the the funny thing about hoops that's changed. Hoops used to be the sport that it was you had to learn the new roster every year because it was a lot of one and dones and people. And now you look at the all-conference team and it's all seniors. It's a very odd year. The amount of seniors that are back in Pac-12 basketball this year, it's pretty interesting to see, at least the big names. So that's kind of kind of cool. But I think basketball, to me, basketball sit down, it's a little more reactionary, where football obviously you're doing some reactions, but there's there's definitely more planning involved. So I think you sort of luckily by the time hoop starts, we're seeing teams over again. If I had to do basketball from the start of the season of football, that would be incredibly tough. But yeah. now we're getting a lot of repeat teams. So that does help in the football side. And I'll add one thing, and because just in the spirit of candor, because it's the elephant in the room, uh, being at UCLA yesterday, there was a little bit of an acknowledgement of the awkwardness that's around right now, both UCLA and USC. And we felt it in football and it was acknowledged to me by some very strong participants in basketball yesterday that it's there. It's just can't, it's above the pay grade of everybody involved, but it's real. So it's, you know, part of the landscape that we've navigated since June 30th. I, I will say too, to get the energy up, if you need to get some energy, just go to a Mick Cronin practice. And it will be quite, quite a spirited practice. And we, we thank, the, thank him for letting us attend. Michael, what's the over under on the day his voice is gone? He might, you know, I'm not uh, sure he's. I'm not sure he makes Christmas. Uh, depends on the wins and losses, but I would say uh, Christmas is probably a good bet. So good. Oh, it's, it's. I love that you guys get to stay connected. It's cool to to watch that and cheer from afar. Here, we'll make sure we'll be hitting you up for tickets when you're in LA. Bring the kids. Come Zane on. Needs, Zane needs to be working the towels. He's at that age now. Oh, I'm in the towels out there mopping the floor and everything. Let's make it happen, baby. Make it happen. All right. With that said, Michael, your humanity moment of the week. Well, uh, Sunday when we got back from Utah, I think I got to the house about 915 and my younger daughter, Isabella, said to me, Dad, I've got to get to a museum before Monday for some project for school. I was like, "Uh, okay. Um, How about the California Science Center? The only thing I could think of. So we, I got home at 9.15. We were on the road at 10.15. Thankfully, it was Sunday in LA, so it only took about 20 minutes to get there. For those who don't know, the California Science Center is right next to the LA Coliseum. Uh, probably the most uh, noted exhibit now is a real, the, one of the space shuttles, the Endeavor, is now uh, docked, I guess is probably not the right word, but now in a big warehouse there, you can see it. For someone who grew up in the 80s, it's really cool to see the space shuttle. <laughs> Uh, my daughter loved it. Um, and so we were kind of looking at different things. We went up to the top level um, and kind of just saw this random exhibit. Uh, it was called Amazonia, uh, which is an exhibit that features more than 200 photos of the uh, Brazilian Amazon forest by a photojournalist named, I've been practicing, Sebastian Salgado. And it was, these photos are huge. They're black and white. They're incredibly artistic. It gives you a sense of the landscape of the Amazon. 
which the Amazon is basically kind of the figurative lung circulatory system and incubator of our planet. Um, I mean, as amazing as the photos or some of the facts that were on display, Amazon produces more than 20% of the Earth's oxygen. 20% of the fresh water that enters the ocean comes from the Amazon. 30% of the world's species live in the Amazon. Unfortunately, 30% of the Earth's carbon emissions come from the burning of the Amazon rainforest. And sadly, last year in Brazil, an area approximately seven times the size of London was burned in one year. Um, and it, it was kind of startling. And, you know, as we walked out of the Science Center on the way out of the exhibit, and by the way, it's not called the Opinion Center for a reason, it's called the Science Center. There was another exhibit on carbon dioxide emissions. And it's pretty pretty remarkable look at the exponential growth of the last three decades of CO2 and sad how the energy has been spent on suspending and delaying reality rather than focusing on solutions. And Isabella looked at that those numbers and just said to me, Dad, why aren't we doing more? And I was kind of it was sad and embarrassed to not really have an answer for her at this point. Uh, and as we exited into the sunlight, the first thing I saw was the Coliseum as we walked out the doors and I had a reality check of my priorities that the game that finished there 12 hours ago really seemed a lot less significant. And, you know, as we've mentioned all during this pod, it's election night tonight. And there's a million issues on the table, a million things we disagree on. But if we don't figure out how to not destroy our planet for our children and for our future, our future children, I mean, what other issue could be more important than that? So I think we all, I know we're incredibly divided in this country and in this world. But if we could focus on one thing, I think saving this planet would be would be the one thing we all could agree on. Amen to that. I'll, I'll tell you on that, go back, anybody that, to follow up on Michael's point right there, go look up on the New York Times website uh, from Sunday, October 30th. Look up a piece written by Brett Stevens who went to Greenland and had been, you know, maybe not the greatest supporter of tackling climate change issues. He made a trip to Greenland and he wrote a long piece about it that is astonishing. So it would follow very much on what you just said, Michael. It's real. Let's let's just admit it's real and let's move forward. That's, a, that's all I have to say on that. Amen. Uh, the Science Center, not the Opinion Center. <laughs> Love that. That's <laughs> not a... That won't be college football for the next month. No. It'll be the opinion center. Other than this podcast, we're just the only factual. All right. We love you. Stay safe. We are presented by Bet Online. Thanks for the time and enjoy week 11. Wow. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.